Hi, my name is Victor Morasic. Hi, I'm Sandra Morasic. So I was ready to go out on a date with a girl that I had met. Well, I uh, met a guy through a friend of mine. I liked her. We were talking for a bit and decided that, uh, you know, he wanted to go out on a date with me. Take her out on a movie. He came and he picked me up from uh, my place. And we're driving along and uh, I was excited about the evening, uh, going to get something to eat, go see a nice movie and uh, see how things go. So on the way to the movie... I'm driving along and she uh, decides to... Um, I'd been thinking about, you know, He's kind of really not my type. Talk to me about something. No, I should probably tell him that I just, you know, want to be friends. And she mentions to me that she just wants to be friends. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he turned to me and said... I have enough friends. I don't want to be friends. So I started to... I was on the highway and I decided to start slowing down. And then got off the highway. And I was like, you know, what is he doing? He's... And she turns to me and says, what are you doing? And, uh, he turned around and dropped me back off at home. And uh, turned around and took her home. And I was like, you know, what is with this guy? Like, this is really rude. And just left me there in front of my apartment building and drove away. So, uh, yeah, a little bit of a uh, rocky start. And then? And then Later it on. was months after I got a phone call. About six months later, he gave me a call, and uh, I was painting my bedroom and, you know, asked if we wanted to hang out, and I said, yeah, sure, come on over, and the rest is history. So after 25 years... And uh, I guess the rest is history after 28 years. 25. Did I say 25? Yeah. <laughs> And things got a little better. Just of marriage, um, everything's uh, going pretty good. Because I'm still happily married uh, to now my best friend. Good job, Victor, Sandra. Uh, hey, let's summarize. For those of you who are last week, we're going to summarize. For those of you who weren't here last week, we're going to do the whole thing really fast. Um, staying, uh, falling in love takes a pulse. Sticking in love requires a plan. So falling in love is pretty much about attraction. That's about what the whole thing is there. But to stay in love, you need to take the right action. And last week, we started with the question, and maybe you remember this, is it possible for two people to stay in love for a lifetime? Can they fall in love and stay in love? And it seems that regardless of what has happened in your life, what sort of experiences have uh, crashed upon you uh, over the course of that, something arises up inside us and it says, you know what, I think I, think I can do it. I think it's possible for me to fall in love and stay in love forever if I could just find the right person. But we, we, we learned that it's not, a, it's not just the right person. We need to learn how to become the right person. We need to learn how to become the person 
that the person you're looking for is looking for. Falling in love is easy. Sticky love, that's tricky love. Sticky love means that you're going to have to change the way that you think. If you want to stay in love, you need to make love a verb. Your mind needs to be transformed. You need to stop thinking of love as a noun and start taking action like love is a verb. Take the noun that you fell into and turn it into a verb. It becomes something that you do. If you want to stick together, if you want to stay together, if you want to, uh, to have that long term, you need to learn to do love. You need to learn to do the things that you need to do to stick together. To, to, so to, to clarify, this is not just um, all made up as you go along, right? That this is love. So, so that you can't say, but this is love. This is what love looks like. It's love because I said so. We don't take our cue from the home that we grew up in. And we don't take our cues from culture, a constantly changing, constantly shifting understanding of what's in love. We take our cues from Jesus. And we will learn to love the way that Jesus has commanded us. You remember this? It says, as I loved you, so you must love one another. And wouldn't it be great if that's the way that you were loved? Wouldn't it be great to make a decision together that this is what you are going to do going forward? So, let's start the remodeling. Go to Philippians chapter 2. Follow along on the screen, so it's a new version as well. Um, Paul came after Jesus. The Apostle Paul came after Jesus, and he looked at the life of Jesus. He studied it, and he talked to um, all kinds of eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses to the life of Jesus, to his death by crucifixion, and to his resurrection, eyewitnesses that saw Jesus after he was born. And he drastically changed the way that he lived because of these things. And he began building little groups of followers, in, and he grouped them up into churches. And then when he left that place to go on to the next one, he would stay in contact with his friends over here by writing them letters. We have some of those letters, actual historical documents that uh, have been added into the Bible. And the Bible is a collection of historical documents, a collection of manuscripts um, that have been put together. So it's not really a book as much as it is a collection. But we call this thing in the middle the book of Philippians. It's not really a book, right? It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to his friends in the church that happened to live in the city called Philippi. So based on all the interviews, this is what Paul's saying, based on the interviews that I've had, based on the research that I've done, based on the eyewitnesses that I've met, based on my relationship with Jesus and how I encountered him, I want to describe for you what his followers and what I have figured out about what this love that Jesus talked about actually looks like. This is how Jesus loves us. So he gives some instructions to Christians, to them, but to us as well, about relationships in general. All right, But in the few minutes that we have together today, I wanted to think about those directions through the lens of that special one-on-one -on -one kind of relationship that you might hope to have, the one-on-one -on -one relationship that you do have, or that one-on-one -on -one relationship that you're, that you're trying to mend, you're trying to put back together, you're trying to glue it and repair it. So we're going to look at these, uh, these verses through that lens. So keep that in mind. That's a specific fo focus today. Not just love one another, but that special one 
another, okay? So verse 3 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. If you want to stay in love, if you want to stick together, if you want a healthy relationship, then don't compete, all right? When she's telling the story and she's getting some of the details wrong, don't make it a mission to correct every one of those mistakes. Oh, no, that was yellow, not red, right? That was, there was five of us, not three. It was, uh, it was definitely a Wednesday, not a Friday. Don't compete, do nothing out of selfish ambition. And the next part is really the point of the message. It's really the place that we're going to hang it. This is the phrase that you want to highlight. This is the big idea. And reading it, you can say, you know what? That makes me totally nervous. Um, I think that I might be taken advantage of. If you will, I will. But I'm not going first, right? This is the heart of sticky love. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Value others above yourself. Act like she is more important than you. Behave as if he is worthy of great respect. Make decisions as if you believe that she is more important than you. Now, have you ever been around somebody who's more important than you? And I don't mean that we're trying to compare the, the human value. One human is intrinsically worth more than another. That's not true. We're all worth the same. But we've all been in a place where we are not the most important person, right? Anytime you go to a wedding and you are not the bride or the groom, you're not the most important person, right? Um, the people line up to talk to them, not you. You're not the most important person in the room. And when the bride walked in, everybody stood up. And when you walked in, Nobody even noticed. You were not the most important person in the room. And when the important person enters the room or enters where you are, you know what you do. You know you have a different kind of behavior towards that person, at least on that day in that place. You defer to them. In that moment, when you understand the relationship there, and you, what you endeavor to do is to bring to light Respect, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, find out what it means to me, right? If you were going to treat someone as if they are more important to me, that's the way you do it. And I have the power to do that. I have the power to raise you up by the manner in which I treat you. In the moment, in that spot, you defer. And Paul says that's how you treat people. That's how you treat the person that you want to stay in love with. That's how you practice sticky love. That's how you stay in love, and that's how you treat your special someone every day, every decision. But, but won't somebody take advantage of that? They might. That might not bounce back on me the way I would like. It's true. But your business is how you will behave. Last week, we, we brought up this concept of mutual submission to thunderous applause, right? But this is an application of what mutual submission actually looks like. This is a guide to help you actually do that. How do you actually do it? And love gets deeper and, and richer, more intricate and more intimate by following these practices. So is that what you have now? Is it what you would like? Are you willing to trust God actually right 
in the middle of the relationships that you're living in. We all go to God when things go wrong. Would you be willing to follow him to make them go right? You know what? There's always going to be bumps. There's, you know, kids show up or there's financial things or there's health things, there's physical things, there's all kinds of circumstances that will battle with your happily ever after. But in every case, this is a way in which we battle back. To treat somebody with dignity and respect, to defer to this person, all of that is a way to battle back against the opposition to your relationship. It's a decision you make. It's a verb you do. It's a lifestyle you develop. When two people decide to do this together, it is absolutely unbelievable. And so he's pretty clear there, but he goes on to elaborate. And we look at verse 4, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Now, this is where uh, it breaks down. This is a breakdown point for me, okay? And let me tell you why. Sometimes I want to look to my own interests, right? Sometimes I can be great at caring about other people. Sometimes I can help other people. Sometimes I can, I can uh, even do that with my wife. But sometimes I, I don't want to, right? So, sometimes I feel overlooked and I say, yeah, but what about me? What about what I want? And I say, oh, I mean, sure, she gave birth to a whole living human. But come on now, that was hours ago. Let's not live in the past. Maybe you can relate to this. I'm mostly interested in the things that interest me. I'm not naturally interested in the things that are not interesting to me. Do you know what? You're wired the same way. You have the same problem that I have. And left to my own devices, I will gravitate emotionally, physically, with my time and with my money towards things that interest me. And if the things that interest me are not the things that interest the person that I'm trying to stay in love with, well then, we might just grow up into a problem right there. We all talk about having things in common, how wonderful it is to have things in common. Oh, we fell in love, we have so much in common, we love the same, but we all know that you also can't have everything in common all the time. And Paul knew this. He understands relationships, so he gets how things start to get unsticky here. You say, well, how, how do you make the unsticky sticky again? You love as a verb. You intentionally, you as a decision, express and learn to express interest in the things that interest the person that you are trying to stay in love with. That interest works like glue. Glue that keeps you sticking together. Sometimes I think, not just in this case, but in, in many cases, I think Paul sort of stops in the middle of his writing, right? And he's got to think about it for a minute. And he says, hey, just, just read that back to me. Just let me hear that one more time. And he listens, he goes, oh, they're not going to get that, right? That, that's such an extreme change. And no, no, nobody's going to want to do that. That's going to be hard. 
So he brings us up to the part where Jesus has said to us, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then he goes, I know what will help. I know what I have to do here. Let me illustrate how Jesus loves. Let me, let me show you what it looks like. Because that's the model, right? Jesus is the model for loving. He's the model that we are trying to emulate. Verse 5, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Paul says, I want you to approach your relationship, that special sticky love relationship. That's what we're thinking of today, right? That's our focus. Approach that relationship with the same attitude of mind that Jesus had. Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And everything we do, everywhere we go, we are looking at it in terms of our own advantage. Relationally, especially. You see, well, because of who I am, I deserve this, and I deserve that. I don't, I don't do that. Just remember who I am, right? That's, that is not for me. That's for you, right? And Paul needs to highlight this for us so we understand this. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the complete representation of God on earth in physical form. If you want to know what God, the heavenly Father, the invisible Spirit is like, look at Jesus. Isaac. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully man. Jesus is fully God. But at no point in his time on earth did he ever reach over and hit the staples easy button. He never hit that gigantic God button, not once when he was on earth. He never used that to his own advantage. The only time it ever came up, they called him a blasphemer, and then they began to plot on how to execute him. Then they <laughs> executed him. He never used his God button to get better seats at synagogue or reservations at Peter's Fish and Chips. Never once did he leverage it for his own sake. That's the model. That's who we're following. That's the way it's supposed to go. So verse 7, Paul goes on, rather, he made himself nothing. In another translation, it says that he emptied himself, okay? Everything that he rightly deserved, all of the, the deference, all the respect, all of the honor that he rightfully was owed, he emptied himself of all of it. Emptied himself. Do you hear the irony in that phrase? We, use, we, we, we talk about that, that kind of a phrase all the time. It's something that we say. Um, it comes out quite often with like a disapproving kind of snort, like, ha, or uh, we uh, head tilt, and the, the eye roll, oh, uh, oh, no, not her. She's so full of herself, right? There's not room in this place because he's so full of himself. We don't like people like that. But rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He didn't have to do any of it. 
Why did he do this? What, what was he up to when he was doing it? What's the point of all this? Nobody made him do that. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He made a decision. He made a choice. Nobody made him do it. He was not forced. He was not compelled. He humbled himself. He decided to place himself under. He decided to submit. He decided to subordinate his will. Guess who he decided to humble himself to? You and me. He humbled himself by. What did he do? In what way did he humble himself? Did he decide to try and stay on budget to reduce the financial stress in the marriage? Nope, bigger than that. Did he decide to start coming home on time? Nope, bigger than that. Did he start to do things around the house without anybody asking? No, even bigger than that. What did he do to demonstrate that he was placing himself under, that he was considering others before himself? What did he do to show that he was serious about setting up this new relationship between God and all of humanity? By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. There is a sense that Jesus was in a dilemma. Now, I don't really know if we can actually describe Jesus in that kind of way, but this would be our dilemma. If we're looking at it from our perspective, this is the dilemma, okay? I can either maintain my rights, maintain getting the respect due me, maintain getting my way, and I am right. I'm always right, and Jesus was always right. I can maintain everything I deserve, and I can have a broken relationship with humanity, or... I can dip into their world and establish a relationship with humanity, but I can't have it both ways. I can get everything I'm due, but have nothing to do with them. Or I can become one of them and submit myself to the creature, the creator submitting to the created, the creature in order to pay for their sin and pave the way for them to have the relationship with me. When Jesus died on the cross for your sin, he put your whole deal ahead of his whole deal. He put your forgiveness ahead of his glory. He put your greatest need ahead of what he rightfully deserved. If I want relationship, I can have it. I just have to die to who I am. Can you see why we think that Jesus is a big deal? Do you understand why we keep pointing at Jesus? Does it sink in for you why we love him? Your heavenly father opted for relationship over respect. He opted for relationship over getting his own way. My friends, you can't have it both ways, and neither can I. If you want that special relationship that Jesus cleared the way for, then God has made it clear that for that to happen, part of you will have to submit. Part of you will have to surrender. You can't have it 
both ways. You've probably watched someone try to have it both ways. Maybe you tried to have it both ways. And what you ended up with was a roommate. What you were left with at the end was a contract. The secret, the power release comes when two people decide to submit themselves to the other person. Your heavenly father sent his son into the world to model that for us so that we would have something you can say, oh, that's what we should do. Oh, that's what it looks like. He opted for relationship over his personal rights, and that's the call of love. That's the call and the requirement for being and then staying in love. And frankly, it might just seem like the price is too high to pay sometimes. But don't kid yourself. There's no other way to stick in love. That is the plan of God for you. Not surviving in a mediocre relationship. He designed you to thrive. And Jesus came to you to show the way. He walked the path in front of us. We follow him. That's where this road trip is actually going. We are earnestly in pursuit of Christ. We have hope and freedom in the sticky love of Jesus. And somehow, somewhere, some of us, we have learned to think that it's okay to be disrespectful of our spouses in public and even sometimes in private groups. We see it all the time, like in the Costco parking lot. You'll watch this. Somebody's packing up, leaving a day at the beach. Uh, you'll, you'll hear it in the grocery store. And we have learned as a people to speak down to and about. We chide and we nag and we insult and we belittle and we mock. We choose to not support. We choose to not protect we allow those we love to remain vulnerable and exposed, uncertain, and unassured of your love and acceptance. And we will eye roll at anyone who will listen about how much they need our guidance because without that, they probably just won't get anything right at all. This is the opposite to glue. There is no sticky love in there. Please, stop it. In the name and for the sake of Christ, whom we pursue, may no one who calls into one home treat another one of God's children in this manner. There is no future for us in this. It is not the way of Christ. And you can spend the rest of your life being right. You can spend the rest of your life making a point. You can spend the rest of your life winning every argument. You can spend the rest of your life proving why you are right and they are wrong. You can do that. But you will not be in love at the end of the process. You can be right every single time and you will still have lost that thing that we cherish and we want most. Jesus did not come into the world to be right. He came into the world to submit himself for your sake, for my sake, on behalf of the world. 
And in submitting himself and in surrendering himself, dying for our sins, he discounted the opportunity to be right. You're still going to argue, all right? It's still going to happen. But at some point in your relationship, you are going to have to decide, am I going to err on the side of submitting and surrendering myself? Or am I going to decide that I'm right? This is my way. This is how it's done. And I can out-argue and I can intimidate everyone else who comes. You can't have it both ways and stay in love. There is a way to resolve every single conflict in a way that is honoring to both parties. Once you decide up front, I'm going to treat you as if you're the most valuable person. I'm going to treat you like you're the most valuable person, the most important person in this room and in my life. Now, I know something about you, and I know it because it's also true in me. When I hear that, I say, but that's going to be really hard That is what God desires for you. That is the plan of God for you and for me. Now, what would this look like? Um, If for this this week you could just keep asking yourself in behind the scenes this question, am I going to opt for relationship over demanding respect? What would it look like? What would it look like to consider the interests of the other person above your own? What would that look like? How could you do that? Think about it. Do that. Love one another. That's what people who stay in love do. Is it hard? I think it's a lot easier than a hard breakup and divorce. Is it hard? Yes, but I think it's a lot less expensive than a divorce. Is it hard? Of course it's hard. Is it worth it? Without a doubt. Are there sacrifices? Of course there are sacrifices. But consider this, there are sacrifices regardless of what you choose. There is no sacrifice-free path that's available. So why not choose the sacrifices that you make and get a positive return? Instead of not choosing what you will lose, but guaranteeing a negative return. But coming through that, that choice that you make, you have made the most important choice. The choice to stick in love. Heavenly Father, there are... uh, There are folks that we know or that are listening to this somewhere else that are hanging on just by a thread. God, we pray that you would would give them the wisdom to know what they do with what they have heard. God, we know that there are people who seem to be in kind of like an okay relationship. God, we pray that you would give them wisdom to figure out what the next step for them looks like. And for those people who have, have no interest in the Bible or Jesus or the church or any of it, and all this just kind of seems awkward. Will you please give them the wisdom to do what they need to do with what they've just heard? 
For all of us, Father, let us become a generation that knows how to love well. Let us love like Jesus in this world around us day after day. Please help us. Amen.